Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I'm the founding director of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. And we are building a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. And part of that is bringing you some of the best and brightest in product management every single week on the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. We're recording a live podcast today with three fantastic uh, product managers talking about transitioning to product management from, we got somebody from nonprofit, but we have uh, a mix of non-traditional backgrounds. We're going to talk about getting the job and then thriving in the job. As we do that, we have Red here, who's my co-host every week. Red, tell people how they can get involved in today's conversation. Absolutely. Uh, for starters, if you're somebody who likes to ask questions, well, congratulations. Today is your birthday, anniversary, all wrapped up in a basket of awesome. In about 25 minutes, we're going to give you the opportunity to ask questions to those on stage. And this is also a great opportunity to network. If you're probably tuning in from your office or home or wherever, well, break down these walls and start to open up new connections. In addition to that, if you're someone who's more shy, feel free to reach out to me directly and I can ask questions on your behalf. Again, it'll be in about a half an hour. Halfway Mark Jeff is usually when we open up for questions. And if you're someone who wants to raise your hand early, we'll see your hand, keep it up, and we'll call you on stage at that point. Uh, other than that, unless you want to write love letters to Jeff and thank him for all the amazing work he's doing at the University of Washington, I would say that is the uh, tip of the iceberg as far as uh, where to get involved, Jeff. Back to you. All right, thanks. And yeah, you could uh, send Red or I a message if you wanted to have that question uh, revved up for us for once we get there. So if you think of a question now, ask it to us by text. And then if you want to hop on stage in a half hour, that's your chance. We're going to start here with Jory. Jory uh, was the first person I reached out to. And I said, I'd love you to be a panelist on the podcast. And uh, she chose this topic and recruited the co-panelists. So can't be more helpful than that. So Jory, tell us a little bit about your journey into product and why you thought this would be a good topic for us to talk about. Thanks, Jeff. I wanted to talk about this topic because I've had a number of prospective product managers reach out to me who are facing this same opportunity and challenge. I was actually an art history major in undergrad, and I taught seventh grade in rural New Mexico. I ran development for nonprofits in New Orleans before coming to product. And that development was fundraising development, not software development. I started to transition closer to my product path when I went to business school at the University of Washington. And there I had the opportunity to build a startup. Uh, my co-founder was leading the tech side of the startup and I was leading the product side. So that's how I first got my feet wet. And from there, I had the opportunity to join the T-Mobile Tuesdays team, which is T-Mobile's customer appreciation program where we thank millions of users each week with free things. And I'm now working as the product lead on the T-Mobile flagship app. All right. Thank you for being here. And uh, Jory, choose your own adventure. Who do you want to call on next? Let's go with Austin. All right, Austin, tell us about your journey in product and yeah, anything about yourself you want to have out there before we dive into the details. <laughs> sure, sure. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. And thanks, Jory, for inviting me. My journey to product management started when I was uh, your T. I took your class, Jeff, right? The first, uh, the first year of strategic, strategic product management. And then I was uh, your TA for two additional sessions. And I think, you know, having to grade product management courses kind of really helped me in that respect. But I came from a, a non-traditional background. I had basically, like, I think, eight years of experience in nonprofits and government consulting work. Uh, there were a lot of product, there were a lot of discovery, right? And I had to tell a lot of stories about how tech products worked. I knew HTML, I did a little CCS, CSS and uh, PHP, but it wasn't, certainly wasn't technical. So really it was after I took the, in my MBA, similar to Jory, that's when I sort of dived into it. Coming out of the MBA, I started working for energy firms 
um, energy firms in the software and, and more of the technical side around incentive portals for decarbonization products. And then I got into EV charging um, from that perspective and just started building building product knowledge and product skills in product discovery and sort of um, managing IT tech teams as they went on and built um, EV charging network products. That's kind of what I've been doing now for the for the last four years in a very a variety of product manager, product owner roles. All right, awesome. Great to see you again. Thanks for being here. Uh, Emily, tell us a little bit about uh, your journey into product. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, I definitely fit the mold of a very non-traditional, uh, I was a non-traditional business school student and a very non-traditional product manager. Before business school, I was self-employed as a musician in an indie folk band. I also taught yoga. I also did a lot of babysitting and waiting tables. I was living a totally different life. I came to University of Washington. Honestly, product management wasn't even on my radar. And over the course of my experience there, I had a really wonderful internship at a food and beverage company in brand management. And as I got into my second year, it wasn't until then that I really started thinking about ways that I could grow my skill set, got hired at Amazon, honestly, not really fully knowing what a product manager was. Uh, so I like to say that um, if I could become a product manager, anyone can. And I'm hoping in this conversation will will help you get there. All right. So let's dive right into helping them get there. So let's start negative. Sorry, Red, that's terrible, isn't it? We should always be positive. But uh, let's start negative, I guess. What's the number one mistake you see as people come to you and say, hey, you did it. Can I do it like this? Uh, so what's the number one mistake you see people make as they're trying to break into product management that we could prevent others from making? Hey, Jeff, I'm positive that negative question was slightly confusing. Can you try asking it again? <laughs> I'm I'm not so negatively positive, not sure so <laughs> negatively that... <laughs> Uh, what's the number one mistake you see people make as they try to transition into product management from a nonprofit or non-traditional background? I would say a big one is that there are a lot of transferable skills from most of your past work that can apply to product management. And so I think certainly connecting the dots there is crucial, but I think a big piece is actually getting some experience, finding a way, whether it's through um, working with students, working with someone you know with a small local business to actually put some of the, the product practices into uh, reality so that then you can speak to some actual experience that you've had and how you made, say, the prioritization decisions, how you interviewed customers and so forth. Austin or Emily, any Number one mistake you've seen others who are trying to follow in your footsteps that they've made that we'd like others to avoid? For me, it's more about like, don't don't have um, imposter syndrome, right? The getting in is, Emily sort of mentioned this, getting in is like the hardest part <laughs> from a non-traditional background. So you, you, you have to be like confident, you have to be good at storytelling, you have to be good at listening to customers. And I think non-traditional backgrounds really have good, to take it positive, Jeff, like, uh, non-traditional backgrounds, you, you tend to have an easier time maybe seeing the end-to-end picture, which is really helpful. So really what I've I've come across is people just saying, oh, I'm not good enough or I'm not technical enough. And as long as you're listening and partnering with your IT folks, you're, you're probably going to be good. Yeah, I would definitely second that. I think there is a lot of skills you have coming from a non-traditional background that others don't have. And so undervaluing that it's definitely a, a pitfall I, I myself fell into for a while in the beginning, and I see other fa- others falling into. I would say for myself, a mistake I made, not so much mistake, but something I wish I knew when I was just starting to become a product manager, is that there are also really great resources out there. Like There's a book that someone gave me about nine months <laughs> into being a product manager called Shipping Greatness which just really simply explained the whole product development lifecycle and put the the role of a product manager and why different elements of the job are part of the job into perspective. And so I would say just also doing doing some of that research, reading those books, getting context on the bigger picture of the role of a product manager can be helpful. How about this? What do you wish you knew back when you were starting and spinning your wheels trying to get into product management, what do you wish you knew then that would have helped you accelerate uh, that process? I would 
certainly echo the piece about confidence and overcoming imposter syndrome. I think this is also a little bit more about once you get into a role. And one of the things that I've been thinking once I was about once I was actually in that role is how my confidence could ramp up. And I realized that I was taking steps towards building my skill set and my confidence was lagging behind my achievements. So it's almost as if you think about a graph and skills on the X axis and confidence is on the Y axis. And when I started coming, I think, especially for myself from a non-traditional background, essentially um, when I'm thinking about that confidence line, wanting to smooth it out as I've learned more and I almost relate it to agile delivery, where if we think about a similar chart and we're thinking about development and delivery, we don't want to wait and have big periods of development before we're able to realize value with delivery. And so while we still might move in a stepwise fashion, ultimately, both with agile and with my own career, and hopefully for all of you, we can keep our confidence uh, aligned more smoothly with uh, our skills as they grow. So what I wish I knew or what I had done from day one is just ask lots of questions. The normal trope of if you don't know the answer to a question (laughs) or you don't know the acronym or you don't know some system or process, ask the question and then always map out the workflows. Because if you do those two things, what I found was if I, if, I, if I didn't know something, I wasn't the only person who didn't know it. And then if I, there's no confusion if you're mapping, if you always map out the workflows, you're either, you know, you make a mistake and you fix it or you reveal your ignorance once and you are no longer ignorant. Uh, what did you used to say? Like always be learning. I remember that. So just those are the two things that I've always done is just, hey, map it out and ask questions. I'm blushing here at the moment that Austin remembered my ABC always or ABL always be learning from from my class. So thank you, Austin. Appreciate that. And Emily, uh, you already started this question by uh, using that word yourself, but uh, or that phrase yourself. But is there anything else that you wish you knew when you were uh, spinning your wheels trying to transition into product management? Gosh, there's a lot of things, and I think we'll probably get to to some of the other like challenges that that you encounter as a product manager in general and it would have been it would have been nice starting off to know what some of those were but i think the the big one jumping to my mind is just understanding how much of a product manager's role is in dealing with ambiguity and um kind of finding ways to reduce ambiguity where you can and then ultimately, sometimes you have to make judgment calls and move forward in ambiguous situations and then sort of determine like what you'll do if it you know goes one way versus, versus another. So becoming comfortable with the fact that in many cases in product management, there aren't super clear answers and there's trade-offs you have to make. I think that's one of the things I would have loved to have understood earlier on. Thank you. And then I have to apologize because... I just supposed that the three of you were like uh, 99% of the people who try to break into product management from any background, uh, that you were spinning your wheels. But I I would love to hear if that is an accurate assessment, if you thought that it was a a long and maybe frustrating process, or if you found it actually easier than you might have thought, or um, if there's anything that really worked that helped you move pretty quickly. So again, I apologize for presupposing that you also spun your wheels. So I'd love to hear if you uh, had frustrating moments or what what your process felt like at the time. Uh, Jory, we'll start with you. Maybe similar to Emily, it hadn't been something that I was originally targeting. And then through my experience with the startup, which actually came out of an entrepreneurial internship I did between my two years of business school, I, I got that experience. And so from there, even at that point, I, I hadn't necessarily been targeting a career in product management. But when the time came to look at my path forward out of business school, I was looking at a number of different opportunities and realized I wanted to keep some paths open. 
And so I ended up taking a postgraduate internship and it was both an opportunity for the company to test me out, so to speak, and also for me to test out the role, test out the organization and see if it was a good fit. Um, so that was that was my opportunity to have a foot in, but also it wasn't something that I had perhaps been channeling my efforts uh, in quite the same way. I also took a post-MBA uh, internship slash fellowship just because I was trying to find the right... I just didn't feel like I was, I was... I needed more time to find the right fit. I knew I wanted to do something within product or program management around clean tech, and I just, I just needed to keep you know, knocking on doors. Uh, so I kind of did something similar to Jory. I think I found it easier than I expected, but that's because I... Candidly, I don't know how Emily... like. Uh, Emily, Emily, Emily just did it, like got into the Amazon. I feel like if I had tried to get a product manager role coming from such a non-traditional background at one of the big tech firms, that would have been more difficult for me. But what I did was I found something that was, you know, um, some companies that were in the energy space and were, were more like indirectly tied to my past experiences. Um, and then I was able to make that Make that jump into product management from there. So I think I think in short, I found it a little bit easier. But I think that's because I found a, I was maybe more looking at the medium-sized firms that would appreciate alternative backgrounds, maybe. All right, and I just want to echo one thing that Austin said is that uh, domain expertise and subject expertise is really valuable, and so it's hard to switch uh, both domains job titles, companies, and geographic regions, and in general, the advice is to try to limit the number of switches that you're doing. Uh, Emily or Jory, any responses to to that in terms of your experience of uh, where the domain knowledge has been helpful versus uh, other skills that you've developed that were helpful in breaking into product management? Yeah, I mean, I, I can say in all of the product management roles I've held, both at Amazon and now at the um, startup I'm working at, Wrapbook, where I've been coming on two years, I've had zero domain knowledge. And there's many different kinds of product managers out there and in different situations, different might call for more domain expertise, um, especially with sort of more technical areas. But my product management style, what I've really realized are the skill sets that have been the foundation for my success in my roles have been, honestly, my background of kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. Like, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to ask a lot of questions. I'm going to learn and I'm going to figure out how to carry a vision across a number of different you know, stakeholders, different roles from end to end. So for me, domain expertise has not been <laughs> at all a factor in my work. I've just gathered that on the job. I will say that I did have the opportunity at Amazon to develop a stronger core set of product management skills and and even just frameworks and philosophies that I think I wasn't lucky enough to have your your class, Jeffrey, uh, when I was at uh, UW. So I learned that honestly on the job at at Amazon. And that has now been very helpful for me at um, the other roles that I've taken and now at Wrapbook. And Jory, anything to add? Yeah, I think the curiosity and the drive to learn and understand the domain is key. Um, I also was coming in without domain expertise. Some of these areas that I was working in didn't necessarily require it, but I do have a background in market research. And so I think the ability to dig into the research, which many people would have here and being able to understand the user base, understand the challenges that they're facing, understand what they need from the product is what's going to be able to serve you in um, understanding the domain and being able to serve as a product leader within it. All right. Now we have a lot of people in the the live audience here. Thank you all for showing up. And we're going to get to your questions in about five to seven minutes. And again, if you don't want to get up on stage and have your voice recorded in the podcast, uh, you could send a message to me or Red and we'll get those asked uh, really soon. But I suspect a lot of those will be about uh, getting the job. And I want to hear about once you get the job, what is the biggest challenge coming from a non-traditional background and how did you overcome it? Here, once again, I point to some of the conversation that we've had about overcoming imposter syndrome. So maybe what I can speak to here is a little bit more of the, how did you overcome it? Uh, And I think a big piece of it is 
about effectiveness. And I've essentially been thinking about effectiveness and product for myself under three buckets with competency, collaboration, and communications. And these were all things that as I'm looking at them, I know that I have strengths and I was able to develop them in the course of my earlier career. And so under competency, yes, you need to learn the product skills and be able to execute. But like Emily said, it's also about getting things done, rolling up your sleeves. And I knew that I could do that from my nonprofit background, doing everything from running a capital campaign to get a new building to packing the boxes so that we could move into that new building. Under collaboration, to me, this is where transparency and inclusion are really critical. So again, as I was working um, previously, there were so many stakeholders, I was wearing many hats, thinking about a wide variety of audiences and how to connect with them. And then communication, everyone has so much going on all the time. Being very concise and clear is critical. Even here, I think about when I was teaching seventh grade and working with an audience who often didn't want to give me their attention. I needed to figure out how to capture it, how to parlay that information in a way that was going to drive through and connect with them. Thank you. Uh, Emily, uh, anything that you found most challenging uh, as you started your product management career from a non-traditional background and how did you overcome it? Yeah. And also, Jory, I just love that. There's just nothing like having to work with kids and get their attention to prepare you for working with adults in the rest of your life. I love that example. In addition to sort of what I mentioned and just like even understanding what what product management is and really fully mastering the just the product development life cycle when I was just starting out, I think one of the biggest challenges, and it is a it's an ongoing challenge in product management is prioritization. So it took me a while to realize that there would always be way more to do than I was capable of doing. And my first year at Amazon, I really suffered for that. Like I didn't, I didn't get to the gym. I didn't sleep like well enough. I was staying at work way too long, just not learning how to balance the needs of my role with needs of the rest of my life. And I think even within the role, there will be things that seem urgent and things that there's just more of them than you can possibly do. So getting really focused and clear on what your highest priority is for your role, what's your goal, and then figuring out how you're going to reach that goal through which projects and how you're going to measure your success and being ruthless about that prioritization and putting other things on your backlog. And obviously like having those alignment conversations with your manager and your team, that was a skill that I did not have joining Amazon and becoming a product manager, but one that I had to learn um, in order to become effective. Austin? Ooh, ruthless about prioritization. I I like that. For, for me, it was something a little more... A little more basic. Um, it's, no two organizations, to me, seem to write product requirements or feature development in the same way. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, this is my third product management role, and what I always find just challenging is like, oh, I, you know, I wrote the feature request. Here's what the user need the user to do, and here's what the feature needs to be, and then translating that into a, an organizationally effective way has been different every time I've tried to do it. Yeah, that's definitely the hardest part. But by, I think, I think Jory brought it up by like having that right collaboration and communication skills, I've been able to, to, to quickly adapt to writing it to the way that's, that's most effective. It's like the classic project management, just every meeting has a follow-up with notes, right? And who's responsible for next steps? That's just like, it seems so 101, but man, it's been, yeah, it's, if you don't do it, you're going you're gonna to mess up the product. There's like thumbs up from Jory and I on that one, I think. Maybe just to tag on, there are so many basic, just like effective workload management tips um, that have nothing to do with product management, but just like how to keep yourself organized and other people organized that, um, yeah, I also didn't come with, but have found helpful as I've learned on the way. Yeah, I, I really love this part of the discussion because a lot of it does feel like some of the the very basic things, but they can make a huge difference. So 100% to what Emily and Austin were just saying. And then even things like if you're having a really important meeting, 
reaching out to some of the key people in advance and getting their input, making sure they're going to be there, like doing all of the post work, like Austin said, as well as the pre work so that um, those sessions that are uh, taking some very valuable time from other people in your organization are able to go off uh, as smoothly as possible. And I think you've touched upon this a little bit, but just to, to hit it home, uh, what has been the most valuable thing from your background before you were a product manager that's been most valuable that you've leaned into as you are a product manager? Um, so something you experienced either at school Always uh, give a little foster plug if you want, <laughs> but uh, something uh, they leaned from school or from your previous experience, anything that's been most valuable that you keep leaning back onto? Just entrepreneurial spirit. And I, I think over time I've accepted that like my unique background means that I have a different perspective than other folks that I work with and that that in and of itself is valuable as a part of a team. But there's one thing I'd love to call out and put a plug in for, which is honestly my liberal arts background. I also, like Jory, have a liberal arts degree. I feel like they get poo-pooed on liberal arts degrees. But um, I was a comparative religion major, which means I studied like the history of and sociology of religions. And what it really gave me was strong reading, writing, and editing skills. And I use those every single day in my job. Um, it makes me an effective communicator, especially at like a remote um, only company or a company like Amazon that, you know, has prose writing as part of its product development life cycle. So a little plug, I think a liberal arts uh, background can be really positive for product management. Yeah, I can build on that. I, I agree. And I think that it can also help you see the shades of gray. And so as I, I think Emily mentioned before, there's tons of ambiguity in product management, there's often scenarios where there's not necessarily a right and wrong answer, and there could be various right answers uh, for different situations. And so being able to see things in multiple colors, be able to parse through that and look at it from various angles, um, as well as be able to um, help the rest of your stakeholders consider those um, various paths can be really important. Yeah, ditto to what Emily and Jory said, did political science and national relations, so kind of have the same, same liberal arts background. From the foster perspective, like product management is, at least where, where my perspective was, my experiences were, is it's kind of amorphous and you're drawn into a lot of different things. So like, you know, I've, I've set, I've helped set pricing for the products or the product messaging wasn't working. So I would draw on the marketing class skills, right? And I sat in the finance, like I would sat with the M&A team to figure out who to acquire next, right? Like, so just like taking all these random feeling, sometimes I felt lost in the MBA program. I was just like taking random classes that fit my interests. But I think product management is just ambiguous enough or very ambiguous where you can, you know, every one of those skills can become valuable. The one thing I would say about nonprofits in particular is like every year in a nonprofit is zero cost budgeting, right? <laughs> like you're so scrappy. You're always justifying things. You always have to pilot prototype and then you probably don't get funded anyway. So like you, people from nonprofits just are very used to scarcity and making things work. Just to echo what Joy was saying. All right. Thank you, each of you. Uh, now it's choose your own adventure. We're going to let the audience ask questions uh, about either transitioning in terms of getting that job or uh, succeeding on the job and adapting to a, a new role and uh, a new life. Um, and Red, you know what's coming. Are you red E to manage the stage? You know, there needs to be like an emoji for eye rolling. I'm just throwing it out there. If LinkedIn's product people are listening, besides, you know, obviously kicking speakers off the stage. Um, okay, so for those who are either just tuning in or they're waiting for their moment to shine, this is the opportunity for you to click on the little icon on your screen, raise your hand, and ask questions. Uh, for those who are here who do not want to ask, stick around. We get a lot of incredible questions uh, that just pop up out of nowhere. So uh, if you are someone who is a little bit more shy and wants us to ask questions on your behalf, um, I'm happy to do so. And guess what, Jeff? While we're waiting for someone to raise their digital hand, uh, we already have a question ready to rock and roll. Uh, so anything you want to put out there, uh, self in, 
information, you know, maybe a little thing or two about the university, or are you ready to rock and roll some Q&A? Uh, I mean, the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington is here to not just help aspiring product managers, but product managers of all experience levels. And we are working on new initiatives right now uh, to support product managers uh, get the network they need, get the skills they need to advance in their career. So stay tuned for that. And we have Pete here on stage, Red. So you you don't need me for filler, but I'm glad I got a chance to say that. Awesome. Well, Pete, hold on just one second. We got a, our first question coming in from a hand, not raised, but one who DM direct with the uh, big old return button, if they're using a Mac, that is. Uh, so this is for the panelists. And uh, to make things more interesting, I will be calling on the panelists rather than have you all do a Rochambeau on stage. So the first question is, thanks for putting on the podcast. Not a question, but hey, uh, happy to say you're welcome. Uh, one question for the panel how did they find their jobs? How did they work with recruiters? Informational interview, what was most effective? There's a lot to unpack in there, but if I had to maybe distill this down into a single malt scotch of questions, I would say that they're really looking for the preferred method, the most effective method. If you were to choose one thing that you can attribute to your uh, functional, your success in getting that job, only pick one for this island of hope. Uh, Emily, let's start with you. What would be that one item for this question of uh, what was most effective and why? If I have to just choose one, this might not be the most satisfying answer for a lot of folks who don't have the opportunity to go to the University of Washington Foster School of Business. But honestly, that was it for me. Like I, It was because of Foster that I was able to get a wonderful internship that gave me experience that was marketable to a company like Amazon. And then at the time, Amazon had a direct recruiting pipeline with University of Washington. They came to campus and interviewed right there. So it was, I think, admittedly an easier path than if I had not gone through the UW Foster pipeline at the time. Awesome. Okay. University network, networking, getting access to that community. That's a great starter. Uh, Jory, what about you? As I mentioned, I started with a post-grad internship and the most critical thing was really having some product experience that I could speak to in my interview with the hiring manager. And so he wanted to go deep into um, how I made the product decisions, how I thought about the product overall. And so having something that was um, a real world project that I had worked on was what made the difference for me. Awesome. Real world product experience, network through the university. Austin, what about you? Take us, take us a step further. What do we got here? What are we missing in this recipe of good, hopeful future for Sarah? Just choose a couple jobs or choose a couple jobs or choose a couple experiences that you're doing just because they're interesting to you. That's what I found. Like now recruiters hit me up fairly regularly, but that's because it's like, Hey, I saw you did this interesting product idea, or I saw you did worked at this interesting company. Can you tell me more about this? Like it's, it was, it's more about like that, that experiential learning and clean tech is such like an early still an early space that um, just having those good experiences and, and implementing, you know, well enough B plus has, has, has been able to get me interest or in the foot in the door around these career opportunities. Just follow your heart, I guess, on what interests you for work. Well, I hope everyone has the opportunity to do what they love. And part of where our mission is, Austin, is to give people the opportunity to not only do what they love, but to get the opportunity to do what they love. And a product is one of those worlds, which is still, uh, well, you're shedding light on it. That's for sure. So Sarah, hopefully that answers your question. If you have another one follow up, please send it our way. Uh, next, Pete, you've been waiting patiently. Pete, the patient, you are dressed to the nines. You can't see this podcasters, but we've got a suit on stage and I'm excited, Pete. The stage is yours. What's the question? How can we help? So a question I have for you and thank you for to all the panels for being here today is that um, I've got a 30-year background in tech, mostly uh, as a uh, lead senior business analyst, um, working in multiple sectors, spanning healthcare and energy and others. And I've also, uh, like the topic of this call today, um, have extensive experience in nonprofit, uh, as well as being a volunteer EMT and disaster responder. The, 
the thing I am beating my head on over the last year is I can't figure out if there's something I need to optimize with my resume, uh, cover letter, LinkedIn. Maybe I need to bring a recruiter on. Um, hoping to get some insights from you all about that. Thank you. And Pete, can you define the problem just to make sure that we're addressing the problem? Is it uh, to optimize it for what, to what end? I think um, part of my, well, I have a hypothesis of what a problem is. is no, that, no, 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 no cheating. We don't want to operate on biases yet. We're just right, trying to sure. identify the problem. <laughs> I, 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 I believe that um, because I haven't had the term product manager on my resume, even though I've done a lot of aspects of product for years, um, that's a barrier. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. So this could be the question of if I'm not a product manager, I'm tertiary in terms of title, but I have a lot of the skills. I could do that job. What is it that I could optimize or what are what are the some elements that help with that transition from product, from say call project manager? Um, is that a correct assumption of the question? I think it's a really good way of framing it. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Um, Austin, we had you last, so let's go in reverse order this time. What do you say? Do you have any experience with this? Or if you all, if you all, if you all have none and you have nothing to say, you can always pass it on. But uh, let's start with you. I, actually, I have a lot of thoughts on this. So this this goes back to just by my experience that a lot of product manager, product management roles are not always classified as such. My first role out of the MBA, and that's why. So I guess my my advice to you uh, would be to look at the. At least this is what I did. I, I won't be that prescriptive. Uh, I look at the roles and responsibilities, and I talk to the try to talk to people at the company. Like I've just cold cold hit people cold called on LinkedIn to talk more and see if the roles and responsibilities sound like a product manager role, even if they're not called that. So my first role out of the MBA was as a solutions architect, but it was basically end-to-end product development. You're selling this product, and then you're doing feature development after you sell it. Then I was a program manager. Then I was a senior product manager. Then I managed a team of product managers, and now I'm a product owner. And when I was reading the product owner role and responsibilities, I'm like, this sounds like a director of product role. It's just not called that. And it turned like... Turns out the hiring staff, the HR staff, were all in Europe, and product owners are often product managers in Europe. I, I don't really understand it, but like, so I would be less concerned about title and look at the roles and responsibilities um, more closely, and that might be how you how you can get in. I don't know, just one idea. Okay, so we got Austin's out there from personal experience. Uh, Jory or Emily, either of you want to weigh in on this one as well? Yeah, I would say. Uh, building off what Austin said, that you can, again, look at that job description, the roles and responsibilities, and clearly link the work that you've done to those roles and responsibilities and um, be able to highlight that that you do have that experience. I love this. It, 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 it's not about the title. It's not so much about the description of how you got there. What matters is the company's hiring a KPI, an outcome, and you have experience achieving that outcome. Uh, if only all companies could be this awesome. But Emily, Emily, please. Yeah. Well, and to put an, an even finer point on it, I, I think I'm agreeing with everything both Austin and Joy are saying. I would literally use the language in the job description in your resume. So Every time you're submitting to a new job, you can alter the way that you describe your achievements. And it's not about, obviously, you're not lying, you're not making things up. But if they're saying, uh, we want you to spearhead the, you know, new OKR system for the product management team or whatever it is, use those actual words in your, if, if you did something like that, make sure you're using the same language. And that will be a way to directly link uh, what they are asking for with your experience in a way that they can understand is relatable. There you go, Pete. See, it wasn't, you know, change the suit for a Hawaiian t-shirt, uh, which what is a Hawaiian t-shirt? I don't know. But if anyone wants to show me an example, I'm totally interested because I love wearing Hawaiian shirts to school, to work, to weddings. It's just my thing. Okay, Jeff, uh, we're moving on to another question here on the stage. But before I do, I wanted to make sure, Pete, thank you so much again 
uh, for coming on stage. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Jeff, before we jump to the third question of this fine lunch hour? Red, this is your thing to do, man. I, I put my faith in you. The OKR is do people feel like they enjoyed uh, the show and did they learn something that they could apply today? So I think you're, you're winning. Mm, if, if that's winning, then I can sleep happy. Uh, on that front, uh, we have another question on stage. Ule, I have to say, uh, this is the time of day for you to ask a great question. There's no way to rhyme that last part of the sentence. So without further ado, you've been waiting patiently. Thanks for raising your hand. And also, I have to break it out there. It looks like we got another DAWG on stage. Let's go, you dub. Go, dogs. Um, hi. Um, so first, I want to thank you all for uh, the panelists here. Um, I'm an incoming MBA student at Foster, and uh, I'm coming from investment banking and entrepreneur background. So I'm looking forward to transitioning into product management in the United States. So uh, my question today is, like, um, how do you think about the different corporate cultures and their impacts on product managers' responsibilities and also working style? I think um, yeah, your answers will be very helpful in helping us preparing for the interview process facing different companies. All right, who wants to take a stab at that one first? And all these clarifying questions help. Um, let's do this in the reverse to reverse to not reverse order. Uh, Jory, let's start with you. Yeah, to, to clarify, the question was about different corporate cultures. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Here, I think that connecting, um, whether it's through cold reaching out on LinkedIn, um, certainly you'll have a big base of people to connect with through UW and Foster. Um, but connecting with people at those companies is going to be the most important way to understand that culture and understand if you're a fit for it. I think at the end of the day, um, representing yourself authentically is going to be the most valuable for you. Otherwise, it can end up being pretty challenging once you're in the role, if that if that wasn't the case, to find your stride. Uh, and then certainly I note that within many of these big companies, the culture can vary from team to team or from org to org. And so that's another thing to keep your eyes and ears out for as you're talking with different folks that you can um, find a good match perhaps in one area of the company, whereas a different part of the company might be um, not as strong of a, uh, a fit for personality. Okay. So we have one perspective and you may, I uh, would love to get more as well. Um, let's go with Emily. Emily, what about you? I think I have a lot of similar thoughts to Jory. First of all, congratulations, Julie, joining Foster. Um, I'm, you know, a little biased, but I think it's a great choice. Like Jory mentioned, you really will benefit from a vast network um, that Foster has in various di different corporations. It is very true that product management looks different in different places the culture will be very different. There are certain foundational ideas that you'll want to learn. And it seems like with Jeffrey's good uh, guidance, you'll be able to do that at Foster. But really use that network to have uh, those informational interviews. Just no pressure. You're just wanting to learn. And especially as a student, people are really generally open to that. And so I think that's the best, best way to go to learn more about each, each unique culture. Okay, Austin, we're going to take this one home. This is it. This is the hat trick evening. Three for three, folks. The holy trinity of question answering. Austin, back to you. Uh, thanks, Red. So, like, I don't know if I have much more to add about the culture. My personal experience has been like, oh, you, you learn from the interviews, you learn from talking to folks. And then normally the way cultures are, they tend to talk in code. like. Like if you're if you're hearing a lot of uh, descriptions about the work and the tech debt is used a ton, you know, like you're probably gonna you're probably gonna spend a lot of your time doing keep the lights on kind of stuff. Um, and normally the fastest like the cultures that promote moving the fastest, where you know, um, not always what you'd expect. So I have very unhelpful. I don't know. I just I don't think I'm gonna be very helpful <laughs> to answer your question, Yule. But uh, but also congratulations on Foster and I. I think you'll um, you'll just have to talk and follow your follow your instincts. Talk to everyone and follow your instincts. Yeah. What a wholesome set of answers today and personable experiences, Jeff. If you want to go to concluding thoughts, 
I would say uh, this might be the time for you, but I did just get a DM literally is all saying this. So you get the choice. Do we want to make time for one more question? You like, thank you for your question or do we want to go to concluding thoughts? Dude, it's all about uh, serving the people here. So go to the DM and we have somebody who's raising their hand. I'm trying to add them to the stage, but it's not working, but uh, do your DM, uh, maybe have one person answer it. And then we'll see if we can get Jasper on stage here. Okie dokie. All right. So we have a question from a product designer. Remember how before we talked about product roles going into product management? How's it work? Okay. So thank you so much, everyone, for your time. Uh, that's a shout out to you, all the speakers. Uh, they don't have a tech background, but years of experience teaching and nonprofit work. I just applied for an MSIM program at UW. Go dogs. I feel like I'm getting a second master's just to get into product management. And as you noted, there are various paths to get into product management. As you know, a master's program is expensive, not just money, but time. Would you recommend getting a second master's to learn tech or data skills? It appears that an MBA or internships are really the easiest way to get into product. So this is going to be a fire off round for two answers. All you have to say is binary, yes and why, or no and why in less than 30 seconds. So the question again is, is it worth, for someone who has no tech or product management experience, is it worth a second MBA just so they can get in? Emily, we'll start with you. You should know that a a product manager is always going to say it depends. (laughs) (laughs) I would say generally, no, you can gain a lot of that information on the job. If you want to get into more specified technical product management roles, for example, ones that do require domain expertise, then maybe yes. Perfect. And Jory, what about you? Also, it depends. I would only do it if it's something that you feel clearly you want to learn and to use the skills from that program. Otherwise, I would look for a product management role that does not require the same technical background. Ultimately, as the product manager, you want to be collaborating with the developers and your developer partners are going to be able to help lead that technical knowledge But if you want those skills and to really lean into it, then perhaps, yes. So uh, another vague answer. You know, in the years that Jeff and I have been doing this, we figured out why product managers don't fight. It's because they always side on the air of caution with it. It depends. And as long as it depends, you can't exactly tell the other person they're wrong because it depends. Jeff, I figured it out. Is that right? Is that why we don't see blood shed on the stage? Is that why the controversy never happens? It's because it depends. Yes, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a, a good joke uh, with that. It feels like we need to come up with a riddle where the answer is it depends, but it, it really gets a good <laughs> chuckle. Um, Jasper, yeah. we see yeah. you. We want to bring you on stage. I've clicked about a thousand times to allow to speak. It's not working. So if you want to leave and come back, and if we can get you to do that real fast, then we'll get you on yeah, stage. You DM me. You DM me. Okay, so yeah. we're good. Uh, yes. And for those who don't know about It Depends, go listen to our other podcasts. I love creating controversy between PMs because they never fight because they always agree at the end of the day. That's One so day, true. We've, we will figure this out. The riddle is not a riddle. It is a question from Jasper. Um, are the aspiring PMs on here today uh, who would like to build something as we learn together? Hmm. Jeff, I, I, I would ask Jasper to maybe re-clarify this one for our following week, but knowing that we have four minutes left and this question seems to be a little too generic, I'm going to err on the side of caution, caution and say, uh, I'll take the risk here. I'll take the Jasper, hit me up, and we can get your question answered uh, via private DM. I think but, I, I'm going to guess, and I could be wrong, but I think that was uh, an attempt to connect with the people here and see, uh, yes. because one of the things that people advise is to build. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think he's saying, does anybody want to get together and build something together so they could put that on their resume. But I'm going to assume that's what he meant. But if not... Yeah, so that's why I said DM us. Like, or that's DM why him. we exist. Or DM him. Uh, uh, yeah, anyone who wants, wants to DM Jasper, look <laughs> down below and, and, and be the proactive networker. But if Jasper, if you learned anything today, you're the one who's supposed to be networking. You know, that's, that's the proactive methods of those looking to find their future. Take it by the horns and, and ride that bull to the sunset. Yeah, Jeff, I'm going to give the mic back to you before I say anything else. That is a really weird analogy. Yeah, and hope, hopefully that I interpreted what Jasper was saying correctly, and he doesn't just get flooded with a bunch of DMs that he didn't want. But uh, let's uh, concluding thoughts. We've got three minutes. Let's stick on time. Share them one minute each. Concluding thoughts. What do you want to leave the audience with? Jory, you put this together. I'll let you go first. Yes, I would say that. 
time is your most limited resource. Like Emily said, prioritization is going to be key. Um, make sure to also think about the important things rather than just the urgent things and um, acknowledge that you will never get everything done. And so make sure that you are working on your top priorities. All right. And then we'll go to my uh, former student, Austin, uh, former TA too. I, you left that part out. Uh, you graded other product managers. Um, but go, <laughs> what, what do you want to leave the audience with? Um, yeah, th thanks, Jeff. So I think what I want to leave the audience with is um, like product managers are about removing ambiguity and helping, you know, helping the developers and the software engineers, you know, take something that could be limitless and give it form, right? Um, so your role is just kind of what, kind of what we talked about. You're great communication, right? Collaboration, and then clear defi uh, clearly defining the products in stories, right? That's, that's, that's what you have to do. All right. Thank you, Austin. And Emily, remove some more ambiguity. What do you want to leave the audience with? Just the balance between staying humble and curious while also resting on the foundation that your unique background really is valuable to the team. And a team that has good working mechanisms really is greater than the sum of its parts when its members have diverse ways of thinking and diverse experiences. So, you know, rest on both of those things. Humility plus like you got this. All right. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Jory. Thank you, Austin. Really appreciate all of you being here today. Uh, I do want to note that uh, each of them mentioned the University of Washington Foster School of Business as part of their uh, career jump. Uh, we always, of course, love students in our master's programs, our MBA programs, and uh, we've got a lot of options. Uh, but I do want to make sure that everybody knows that uh, you know, you're here, you're learning, and you're dedicated to learning, you're dedicated to what you want to achieve, and and that's half the battle. So I don't want you to, I want you to take away from this that yes, the Foster School of Business is here to help in our degree programs, but we're also here to help uh, through the Product Management Center and uh, any way we can. And also, uh, there are many ways, I hope what you take away is that there are many ways into product management. Uh, believe in yourself, find your strengths, and uh, stay curious. So thank you for listening, and we'll be here next week as we talk about AI product strategy. Um, so join us next week here on LinkedIn, and then uh, the recording will be uh, put out in the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast the following week. Thank you, all, all three of you. Really appreciate this conversation. It's great to see you, and uh, take care, everybody. <laughs>